We are not rejected. We are accepted. We are not orphaned. We are adopted. We are not unseen. We are known. We are not fearful. We are courageous. We are not deficient. We are satisfied. We are not condemned. We are forgiven. We are not uncertain. We are secure. We are not perfect. We are victorious. We are not in bondage. We are redeemed. We are not aimless. We are purposed. We are made in His image. And that redefines everything. Well, good morning, Island Community Church family. I am Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here, and uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning. Uh, If you are a part of our church family or if you are a visitor this morning, uh, I want to just let you know how much I truly love you, how much I care about you, how grateful I am uh, for you, and I just want to pray for you right now uh, just for the Spirit of God uh, to minister to you today uh, in the goodness of his heart and the riches of his love and grace toward you uh, so that you might know who he is that you might be led into closer, more intimate relationship with him, and that you might have your heart satisfied in his love, knowing the sufficiency of his grace and what he has done for you in his love for you, sending his only son, Jesus, to live, die, and rise again so that you may have the opportunity to have restored relationship with him and life, true life with him now and forevermore. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much uh, for this day of worship that you have given us. And Lord, we just desire so much uh, to have time today to be with you. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that in you is life and breath and everything. Lord, we want to thank you that from you and through you and to you are all things. To your name be the glory forever. God, we come needing you this morning. We come, Lord, with a confession of our great need for you, the brokenness of our heart and life, the needs that we have, the dependency, Lord, that we know is real. Lord, we come to you, Lord, for grace and help in our time of need. We come to you, Lord, to just be one with you today. And we just... Thank you so much for the love that you have for us. We thank you so much for the grace that has been poured out over us in your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for the promises that you have made and the hope for the future that is certain. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, what you have done, and what you will do for all who continue to trust in you. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would give us faith to continue to trust you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that you would speak to the depth of our heart today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, uh, it has been 119 days 
since the last time that we were able to meet together as a church family on a Sunday for worship. And so if it feels like you are tired of doing worship online, yeah, there's a reason. Uh, if it feels like uh, you are ready uh, for the coronavirus to be over, uh, ready to get back to some sense of normalcy, yeah, there is a reason. Um, I have been talking to many of you, uh, and even this week on social media, I just put out a question, you know, what has been the hardest thing about this? And there have been so many things that have been so hard for all of us. But the reality is, uh, I have heard over and over and over uh, some words like this. Um, I have heard people describing how um, in this season, they are so frustrated, <laughs> uh, frustrated with God in some ways, frustrated with other people in some ways, and in fact, frustrated with yourself. In fact, failure has been a word uh, that has defined in some ways, uh, I think a lot of us, um, just being, even like feeling like you hate yourself, like you find yourself like just binge watching Netflix for like six hours on end, and that's all you have to do with a Tuesday night, and you get done with it, and you're like, what has my life come to? Um, or even more serious than that, uh, for some of us who have gotten uh, caught back in some sins of the past or some struggles uh, that really are not in the way of God, and we feel not only frustrated, but in ways we feel like a failure. We are fatigued. I think I've heard that consistently. I felt that in my own life. We are tired. 119 days without even a corporate worship gathering, one of the most fundamental aspects and rhythms of our life as the people of God. Uh, we are tired. We are tired of, of of just the, what has happened in this season, and we are uh, tired of some of the things that are happening within us. Um, and in some ways, uh, there has been this feeling of futility, this feeling of I, I don't even know what I'm how I'm supposed to be purposed in this season. I mean, it has just been a hard one, and we've been wondering, uh, with all of the risk for ourselves and all of the risk for other people, what is it that we can do uh, to continue a life of purpose? Well, the reality is, I think most of us can relate uh, to these things this morning. And today, we're going to be continuing our series in identity. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, because today, I want to speak directly to you right now in this time of the coronavirus. Yes, God's Word is for all time, but it is also for this time. Don't get it wrong. And today's message that we're going to be focused on as we continue to look at these core pieces of answering the question, who are we? Who are we? And we continue to build our identity upon God and who He says we are according to how he's made us in his image and redeemed us in his son and what he sees us as and calls us and wants for us. That's how we build our identity. But today, the piece of identity that we're going to be building, I think, is essential for the time that we're in right now. And we're going to be looking at a person today uh, in the Bible who experienced this piece of identity in a way that I really believe is going to help you. So, um, just so you know, the theme of today is this. 
We've been talking through these different, uh, you could go back to the list. We've been talking through these different pieces of we are, how we're made in his image. We're not self-defined. How we are secure. We're not uncertain. We are chosen, not rejected. We are loved unconditionally, not conditionally. We are adopted, not orphaned. We are redeemed, not in bondage. We are forgiven. This is the one for today. We are forgiven, not condemned. So if you're writing notes today, and I would encourage every single person to write notes as we go, uh, the theme of today is this. We are forgiven, not condemned. If you go to your Bible in Ephesians chapter 1, I actually want to go back to the passage and help you understand uh, why this piece of identity comes straight from God's Word. Uh, Your confidence does not need to be in whoever's teaching here, although we aim to be teachers who you can trust as faithful, but my desire is for you to really know that what I'm teaching today comes from God and His revealed Word to us. Ephesians 1 Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, verse 5, we get into some of the meat of what we've been talking about over the last weeks. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Now, here's the phrase that I want you to pay attention to, circle in your Bible or note for today. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And then he goes on to say, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Man, oh man, Paul can write some gigantic sentences, can't he? (laughs) Uh, You ever wondered, like, wow, um, this is a lot to take in, and that's exactly why I've been going through it piece by piece by piece, because every little nugget that God pours out in His Word is so precious and valuable and important for us. And it's important that we learn not just to read the Word with our heads, but also to meditate upon the Word with our hearts. And so today, the piece that we're going to be talking about is the piece that's found uh, right there in verse 7, all right? I want to go back to it. Because last time we looked at uh, the phrase, uh, in him there is redemption through his blood, okay? But this time we're going to be looking at what's connected to that. If you remember in the last message, I put up this huge chart for you guys, and it was a very heady theological message trying to help you understand the theology of redemption. In other words, what does the Bible teach us 
about what Jesus actually came to do, and part of what he came to do is to redeem us through his blood. And if you missed that message, I want you to go back and listen to it. But man, oh man, it is a chunky one, all right? Because it is aimed at teaching you rich theology from the Bible. But friends, we have to remember that the purpose of redemption is not for us just to understand it with our heads, but it's for us to experience it with our hearts and our lives. And that's why I love, after this chart, right, uh, we go back to the text, and what we see is in him we have redemption through his blood. Yes, there's the redemption that we talked about. But it leads us to this beautiful opportunity of personal experience, the forgiveness, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, uh, what Christ accomplished through his blood and redeeming us leads us to this opportunity in our lives and in an ongoing sense to know that we are a forgiven people if we are in relationship with Jesus. That we have been forgiven of our sins. We are no longer condemned, but we are forgiven. Today, I want to take you to a story, one of my very favorite stories in the Bible, to talk to you and to teach you about this concept of forgiveness. Not from the perspective of the head, but from the perspective of a life who experienced this in heart in a very personal way. If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to flip it back to the Gospels, to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And today, I want to look at a particular moment in John's, excuse me, that John records in Peter's life. Peter, uh, we'll talk about in just a second, but uh, Peter, in this moment, experienced, experienced something in relationship with Jesus that completely transformed him. Not just for a moment, but transformed him for the rest of his life. And what Peter experienced, God wants you and me to experience. And I believe that if we really would open our hearts to what God has to say in his word, that we could have the opportunity in relationship with Jesus to experience this very thing, this very reality that Jesus came to redeem, to forgive, and to restore. And it could change everything about us. So, if y'all there, John chapter 21. And uh, today, we're going to start uh, there in verse 1. In verse 1. So, we read in the Bible, starting in verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. So John's setting up that there's something about to happen. Now this is after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? That Jesus is going to come and show up to his disciples in a special way, and he's about to reveal it. Now it says in verse 2, Simon Peter, this is a focus of the story, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, 
we'll go with you. And they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, if you remember Peter, a little bit of a background, Peter was a fisherman, all right? He had very humble origins. In fact, uh, Peter is one of the very first disciples that Jesus called, along with his brother Andrew. And if you remember from Luke chapter 5, you can note it so you can look at it later. It was, in fact, a while Peter was fishing that he actually received the call from, from Jesus. Um, Jesus called him to leave everything behind and follow him. And Peter, uh, oh, that more, we have more Peters. Peter did. He saw Jesus as everything, and he left whatever it was that was required to be sacrificed, he left it behind and in eagerness went to follow Jesus. And you remember Jesus actually uh, used his fishing background to speak to Jeter, to Peter, uh, to Jeter, that's kind of funny, to Peter, uh, the purpose that he had uh, for his life when he said, hey, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. We see from the beginning God's desire for Peter moving toward him and his purpose and plan for Peter, his grace over his, his life. And if you remember uh, throughout the Gospels, Peter is one of the most outspoken of all the disciples. He is full of passion. Uh, he's a little bit, uh, well, can we say cocky? Maybe boisterous. He trips over himself all the time. He's the first one out the gate, always like, oh, me, 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 me. And then over and over again, he's got the wrong answers, he's doing the wrong things, and he has to be correct and all this stuff. But you gotta love the enthusiasm and the passion that, that Peter had. And he's very close, very, very close to Jesus. Part of his inner circle, and in fact, it's Peter that makes the confession. And Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? He says, You are the Christ, the Messiah the Son of the living God. And it's upon Peter that Jesus promises uh, that he wants, upon this confession, but Peter, with him as a leader, he, he wants to build the church uh, through him. Peter was there firsthand with most of the miracles that were experienced. He even experienced many of them personally. Um, Peter was there, just think about it, even at the the transfiguration of Jesus where he got to see more of the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, uh, very, very up close and personally. But it's interesting that as the text opens in John chapter 21, there in verse 3, after the resurrection, what does the Bible say? Simon Peter said to them, Circle this. I am going fishing. Huh. I'm going fishing. And then he, the other guys say, oh, we're going to go too. Now, you might look at this and go, well, Jesus loves us to have hobbies, and he does. And this could just be a hobby moment. But I think there's something more going on here. In fact, I know there's something more going on here. Because if you think about the narrative of Peter's story, in this moment, remember what those words that we described at the beginning of the day today? Failure, frustration, 
fatigue, futility. See, I believe that in this moment, Peter was wrestling with his own identity and was wrestling with a lot of these things. And, and here's why I say that. Because if you, if you think about the story that has just happened prior to the resurrection, you might realize that Peter uh, was actually in bondage. And this moment, Peter is actually in bondage, and I want to show you some of the ways. Peter was in bondage to sin, Satan, the world, law, and even death. See, just before the crucifixion, what we know from Scripture is that Peter got caught up in something that he thought would never, ever, ever happen, but in fact ended up happening. In fact, let's read it together in the Scripture. In Luke chapter 22, verses 54, starting in verse 54, we'll read through 61. But what we know is that as Jesus, now this is Jesus who he left everything to follow, Jesus, who he says, I know that you are the Messiah. I know that you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. I, I've, I've given everything for you. Jesus, who he's seen transfigured, seen the glory of God in him. Jesus, who has promised to him that he would build his church upon him. It's this Jesus that's now being seized and led away into the high priest house. And we know the story. This is Jesus who had no sin, and yet in his own willingness for his love for us was choosing to be taken, to be crucified for sin, not his own, but for ours and all who believe. Jesus, in the darkest hour of his life, in the height of his sufferings, in his love for his grace for us, is being seized and led away. And who's there? Peter. And Peter was following at a distance, just as he had but look at this. But when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And verse 56 tells us, then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, oh, this man was also with him. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Not only this, but in verse 58, we read, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I, I am not, denying that he's ever been a follower of Jesus. But Peter said, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. And in verse 60, we read, not once, not twice, but here's the third time Peter says, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And then comes one of the most heart 
piercing moments of Peter's life. And immediately the Bible says, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The rooster that Jesus said, Peter, even though you don't understand, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And he says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to know. And the rooster crowed. And not just that, but the Scripture tells us, and the Lord turned. The Lord turns his face in the midst of all the proceedings, and he looks, he makes eye contact with Peter. In the midst of Peter's denial, in the midst of his saying, I don't don't even know the man. I've never been a part of him. I I don't even know what you're talking about. In the very moment of his worst, he's at his worst, Jesus turns his gaze and he looks at him. And the scripture says that Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And what does Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. Friends, suddenly what has come over Peter is the reality of his bondage. And that's why I made that list for you. Suddenly, Peter is aware. His whole identity is wrapped up in, I am a complete failure. I hate myself right now. I cannot believe who I am. I cannot believe who I've become. I cannot believe how I have denied my God. Bondage to Satan. Jesus said he was going to be sifted by Satan. This is a clearly the work of the enemy, and he's fallen prey to it. Bondage in the world, being pressured by other people. That's what Peter fell into. Uh, All of those people around him thinking, what will they think of me? What will they do to me? Being pressured by the world, ultimately denying Jesus. He's in bondage to sin. Ultimately, it is his own choice in his heart to turn away. He's in bondage to law, feeling guilt feeling shame, bondage to death, feeling fear. All of this, all of this causes Peter to go and to weep bitterly, to weep bitterly, feeling like a failure, feeling frustrated, no doubt feeling fatigued. Imagine the restlessness of his spirit, the sleepless nights that he had had since Jesus was put into the grave, feeling completely futile. And this is why I say to you, if you go back to to John 21 and you look back at verse 3, this is why I say that question about fishing, right? Peter says there, uh, I'm going fishing. To me, guys, this is Peter Basically getting to a point who's just almost resigned, going, I, I'm going, I'm going back. I don't really know what else to do. I, I, I mean, you can imagine, you can imagine the feelings. Let down, rejected, despair, self-hatred, 
useless, beating himself up, feeling like a failure, knowing that he's betrayed. One more time, here I am, a screw-up. A screw-up. I'm a total screw-up. It's over. No hope. Even as Jesus has appeared into crowds, even of the disciples before, perhaps he's sitting in the background just, just wondering, uh, is, I don't know about for me. I mean, I've just gone too far. And I really believe, I mean, have you ever had this kind of falling out with another person? Or I think all of us can relate to this kind of falling out with God. And we end up in this place of God. Here I am again. Ain't no hope. Total failure. One more time. And we almost just get to that point of being so frustrated, feeling like such a failure, being so fatigued that we just, we just resign and we go, screw it, binge watching Netflix. In a way, I mean, Peter's going, like, I'm going back to fishing. I mean, it's a picture to me of him going back to where he was before he knew Jesus. I'm going fishing. And one of the reasons I, can, I feel certain about this is because when they went fishing, look, look at what happened in verse 3. He says, they got into the boat, but that night, what did they catch? Nothing. It's a picture of total futility going back, getting so caught up in their identity as a sinner. I'm so condemned that it's almost like God is just allowing them to catch nothing to show them this, this has no value for you thinking like this, feeling like this, living like this. But let me tell you, friends, the story doesn't end there. Because this story is not about Peter and his failure and his frustration and his fatigue and his futility. This story is ultimately about Jesus. John records this story so that you, in your failure, in your frustration, in your futility and fatigue, might Know Jesus in the way that Jesus is about to make himself known to Peter. And here's what happens. The scripture speaks in verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. He stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, well, cast the net out on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So some random dude is saying, hey, try the other side. They've been out there all night. They've caught nothing. They try the other side, and suddenly they've got a huge heap of fish they can't even count. And then the disciple who Jesus loved, who we know as John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. <laughs> He's seen this scene before. He knows it is Jesus. He hears his voice and recognizes it. It is the Lord. Can you imagine the feeling after seeing Jesus hanging there on a cross, crucified for sins, even Peter knowing that it was his, his own sin in such a deep way that caused Jesus to die, and yet before your face, you see the living Jesus. And when Simon Peter, look at this, when Simon Peter hears that it's the Lord, do you see his heart here? He puts on his outer garment, for he was stripped of work, and he throws himself into the sea. He's just like, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And he literally is just 
leaping out because deep in his heart, I really believe that what Peter longs for is right relationship with his God. And that's what I believe many of us here today long for. He leaps out into the sea, and the other disciples come in the boat, and they drag the net full of fish, so they're not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Well, in verse 9 we read, they get out to the land, and they see a charcoal fire in place. Jesus is there making breakfast, a fish laid out and bread, and he says to them, bring some of the fish. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not even torn. And in verse 12 we read, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But something special is about to happen. Because in verse 15, we read this. And this is the focus of the day. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So once again, Jesus takes his gaze and he moves it toward Simon. Same eyes that had seen Peter in the depth of his failure. And he looks again at Simon and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says to him, yes, yes, Lord. I mean, you can just imagine how eager he's been to just say this to Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He goes on, and Jesus says to him a second time, which has got to be peculiar probably to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Then, not just once, not just twice, but a third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Looking at him, peering not only into his eyes, but into his heart. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And the text goes on to say, Jesus told him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he did this, said this, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. But in verse 19 at the end, we read, but after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. After saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, friends, we could talk about the concept of redemption and the concept of forgiveness, but this is a story. This is a person who's meeting forgiveness face to face, and his name is Jesus. 
Peter, in the midst of his failure, his frustration, his fatigue, his futility, meets the living Jesus in a personal way, and in fact, it's Jesus that comes toward him. Why is Jesus asking him, not once, not twice, not just twice, but three times? Why is he asking three times? Is it not because Peter did not just deny Jesus once, not just twice, but three times? Doesn't Peter need to understand that God's grace covers all of our sin? Doesn't Peter need to understand that he's not going to be defined by his failure? His identity in Jesus is not one of failure and condemnation. It's one of forgiveness and grace. Is not Jesus helping Peter by giving him an invitation three different times to say, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you know, you know, you know that I love you. And more than the invitation for Peter to express his love, is it not an invitation for Peter to learn that his whole life, his whole identity is not about his love for Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus' love for him. This is a moment of restoration. In fact, Jesus knew, if you think back to the scripture from Luke chapter 22, Jesus knew that before even Peter denied him, before Peter even denied him, Jesus knew back in Luke 5, friends, what Peter was going to do when Jesus called him and chose him and purposed him. And right before the denial, Jesus actually looked at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But friends, listen here. Peter didn't get it until John 21. But listen to these words. But I, but I, Peter, you're going to fail You're going to end up in frustration and fatigue. You're going to end up wanting to go back to fishing, thinking that if it's up to me, I I just can't. But, Peter, it's not about you. It's about me. But I, what have I done? Look, there's three things here. I have prayed for you that you may, your faith may not fail. You could draw an arrow there. And when you have turned again, That's the second one. You could draw an arrow there. Strengthen your brothers. It's the third one. You could draw an arrow there. What what Jesus is saying here, I think I could put it up on the screen. I'll show you. Jesus is saying is, it is my power. It is my purpose. It is my love. It is my plan. It is my grace. It is my heart for you, Peter. It, It is me. I, my power, purpose, love, grace, heart, Greater than your sin, Peter. Greater than Satan, Peter. Greater than this world, Peter. Greater than your guilt and shame, Peter. Greater than death, Peter. See, Peter, what I need you to understand, and for all the Peters who are listening today, God is saying, what I want for you to understand is that it's not about you, it's about me. 
and my love and my grace and my ability to redeem and to restore and to forgive is greater than any of your failures, any of your frustrations, any of your, your sense that I, I'm just not good enough or whatever. Uh, I have come to show you that it's about me. It's not about you, Peter. It's about me and what I can do for you. And man, oh man, this changes everything. Jesus and his grace have the final say. And Peter had to learn it. You can go to the next slide, and I want to give you a couple of things uh, for you here. Because every time that Jesus is asking that question, do you love me more than these? He's helping Peter to build a new identity. An identity that is not defined by his failure, but by God's grace. There's a couple of things that I want to show you here. In the restoration of Jesus, Jesus restores. He takes failure, our sin, and he brings forgiveness. That's what Peter was experiencing. He takes fatigue. That's comes from guilt, and he brings grace. He takes our frustration that comes from bondage, bondage to Satan and to the world and to sin and to the law, to fear of death. He takes his frustration, and he brings freedom. And he takes our futility, our sense of resignation. Isn't this so beautiful? that part of what Jesus is doing here is after every moment of forgiveness and grace and restoration, he's giving Peter an assignment. Peter, go and be a part of what I have purposed for you. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Your purpose is not over because your purpose in me is not defined by your failure. Your purpose is defined by me and my grace, and he brings a restored purpose into Peter's life. That's why he says, when you turn again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. In other words, I'm not going to be done with you. Peter has to learn in relationship with Jesus, he is restored. He is forgiven, and he is free. And friends, as we close this morning, as we close this morning, you and I have to learn the same. As our worship team comes and we move to just respond with a simple song today, this is where it gets very relevant for you. I told you, I'm going to speak right into your heart during this time right now. Don't, don't leave me here, okay? Because the question is, the question is for you, is do you know the restoration of Jesus. I'm going to keep this, sorry. But do you know the restoration of Jesus? I really believe that during this time of the coronavirus, and maybe it extended beyond before this time, but I think definitely during this time, that there are so many of us who literally are at a point where we go, oh, I just feel eaten up. Like, I just feel eaten up with failure. I, I believe there are many of us, listen, if you had 
bad habits or hang-ups before the coronavirus, this time of isolation and this time of, of frustration has probably made it worse. I believe there are many of us that feel like total failures in bondage in many ways. And today, I just want you to know that Jesus has come to forgive. The Bible says clearly, if you will confess your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you of unrighteousness. I want to invite you today to Jesus. Jesus moves toward you just like he moved toward Peter. And he does that so that he might look you. Many of us know the stare of Jesus in the, mo in the moment of our failure. We, we sense that deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we feel that identity of failure. But the same Jesus who sees us in our sin also sees us right now and is willing, if you come to him, to forgive. He's willing to give you his forgiveness and his cleansing of heart. Won't you today just say, oh God, I'm broken before you. I know my sin, but I also believe that you came to forgive. In your life, death, and resurrection, I believe that you can forgive me. And this morning, I'm coming to ask for a clean heart before you, God. I believe there are many of us who are just, just completely frustrated in this season. Completely frustrated. And Jesus wants you to know that he has come to give grace. He, he's come for you not to, to live in perpetual bondage and frustration, but he's come that you might have freedom, that you might be set free, free because in your heart you've come to him and you've trusted him. You're not holding on to everything, but you're releasing it all to him. And you're allowing him to work in restorative and redemptive ways in your heart. And I believe this morning, some of us just need to come and say, oh, Jesus, would you restore me? Would you allow me just grace? Would you give your grace as I surrender to you and trust you? I believe there are many of us who feel f futile right now in our ways during this season. And we've almost just resigned. We're just apathetic just gone back fishing in some ways. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, don't you understand, like, I still have a purpose for you. Like, COVID is not going to take away purpose for you. Like, your failure in the midst of COVID is not going to take away purpose for you. Like, mask wearing is not going to take away purpose for you. Like, you are purposed because of me and me being in you and you being in me. I, I have purpose for you. Believe me, trust me, get about the business of continuing to follow me. Come, come, Peter. Remember, I called you to follow. Come, it's still, come and follow me. And some of us today just need to receive the reality that he is still purposed of us to be followers, even in the midst of such a weird time. So today, build your identity not upon yourself, but upon Jesus. And know that in relationship with Jesus, we are forgiven, not condemned. 
Father, I pray for every person right now, Lord, as we respond to you, that, Lord, today we could receive your love and your grace, the outpouring of your redemption and restoration in our lives, that, Lord, how we relate to you is not defined by who we are, but, Lord, by who you are for us. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for the love that you have, for the work that you have finished in your life for our righteousness and your death for our forgiveness and your burial to taking our place and in your resurrection from the dead so that we might have the opportunity for new life now and forever. And oh God, we just today put all of our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your work of restoration and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.